In verse and prose, literature reveals how societies grow and learn. Each era's struggle, its unique fight, from the Dark Ages to the Age of Enlightenment. Wars and peace, love and hate, and the rise and fall of empires, it's all captured by a writer's imagination. The Booker Prize is one of the most prestigious literary awards. It's been given out every year since 1969 to the best original novel written in the English language and published in the United Kingdom or Ireland. The prize highlights exceptional literary works and has a significant impact on the literary world, influencing trends and shaping contemporary discussions. On this episode of Talk to Al Jazeera, we speak to the recent winner, Irish novelist Paul Lynch. His winning book, Prophet Song, tells the fictional story of a mother of four as she tries to protect her family whilst her government turns increasingly totalitarian. While the story takes place in Ireland, it parallels any conflict around the world. Lynch says he wanted to show Western indifference to disasters that happen far from view, like the war in Syria, and make his readers feel what it's like to live under tyranny. One of the judges called his novel a triumph of emotional storytelling. This week, we delve into the global literary world and examine the role literature is playing in shaping our societies. Booker Prize winner Paul Lynch talks to Al Jazeera. Paul Lynch, welcome and thank you for talking to Al Jazeera. First of all, congratulations on a very well-deserved win of the Booker Prize. Prophet Song, what can I say? Wow, it swept me away. I, I read it over two days and I don't think it's, it's fully let me go yet. My first question to you is, what made you write it? Um, you know, when, when you choose, you don't choose a book, uh, the book chooses you. And um, I was, I came to this novel at a time in 2018 where I suppose you could say there was a lot of, there was a lot of change um, in the world, um, certainly here in the West. And I had just read, um, reread Steppenwolf by Herman Hesse. And um, that book was interesting because I, I had read it in my 20s, mm. um, you know, in the late 90s when, when the world was, uh, certainly life in Europe was very sedate, it seemed. And um, I remember there was a passage in that book where Harry Haller, uh, who's the novel's hero, sort of was looking out at Germany in 1927 and he was looking at the sort of political unrest, he was looking at the, the xenophobia and the anti-Semitism and just that sense of unravelling that was, that was going on. And he said the, the, that the next destruction, is the next war is inevitable. And I remember when I read that in my 20s, sort of, sort of being amazed at what it must have been like to have been alive in, at such a time because, as I said, the 90s was what it was. Um, but then I reread that in 2018, um, before I sat down to write Prophet Song, and this chill of recognition uh, went, went, up, went up my spine. And I, I remember just thinking, this is, this is now. This mm. feels like the now. Um, or at least th th there are aspects that, that of the now that, 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 are, that are here with us, that, that weren't with us you know, 20 years ago. And that's the thing, first of all, about rereading great fiction, is that you're never the same reader twice, but also you can sort of measure the time that you're in, you can measure how things have changed. And so, I, you know, that's, that's what I was thinking. And at the time, there was, there was Trump was in power and we had Brexit and there was this, there had been a surge to the right 
you know, in Europe, and we'd had the, the implosion of Syria and the mm. refugee crisis, and all of these things were just sort of pressing in on on the fiction. And um, and you know, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not a political novelist. I, I think it's a dangerous thing to to take on is to sort of set, start writing with an agenda. But the stuff was pressing in. It was sort of leaking through into the text from underneath. And you may say it's a dangerous thing to take on, but I feel like you have. I feel like there's, there's quite a warning in here not to take life for granted. There's an amazing line that you use, which has really stuck with me, which is that happiness happens in the humdrum. And it's almost like, don't let that go. Don't waste your life looking for happiness. Enjoy what you have, because it can be gone in an instant. Absolutely. And this moment is full of these moments of just life in this moment, in the unfolding moment. And there's a reason for that. It's, it's because each moment is a blessed thing. And, uh, and, and we do take it for granted, as you say. And, you know, I think, I think I've, you know, I've realized as a writer that, that the civilization that we live in, it's a thin veneer and it's so mm. easily lost. And, you know, life is a fragile thing. And, when it's gone, it's gone. You know, it's Humpty Dumpty. You can't, you can't put it back together again. And this is fundamentally why the book is about grief. It's, you know, that, that in this book, what's lost is irretrievable. And, and slowly but surely, Eilish has been outmaneuvered in this book. She's, she's trying to grapple with these enormous forces that are shaping around her. And they've taken her husband and now it seems they're taking her son and she's got her other children and she's trying her she's trying to sort of sort of retain some sense of dignity trying to keep her family together but the the forces that are are at work they're just too great and so the novel is perhaps asking the reader well how are these forces unleashed in the first place you know mm. what where do we what what sort of steps do we take to get to that point um, in any sort of projected or counterfactual history where this can begin again and, 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 and to sort of begin to pull apart the, the known world that, that, we, that we take for granted now, especially sort of in Europe with our liberal democracies. Um, this is, this is, these are some of the questions that the book is asking. Mm. I definitely want to talk more about Eilish in a little bit because I loved her as a character and I want to know where she came from. Uh, first of all, I just want to ask why you chose to set this in Ireland, other than the fact that you know it and you live there, because there's been some people who have said they find it really hard to reconcile this sudden to totalitarian government in a place that's got such a strong democracy. Uh, I wonder why you didn't explain more how that came about and what this government's ultimate aim was. You know, if I had stated the politics of the state apparatus in the book, then the book would, would have been about that particular politics. Mm. And so it would have missed the point. And anybody who has, has, who has said, you know, what you're saying there, they're missing the point of the novel. If you take the Iliad, a great book like the Iliad, and you turn it inside out, what are you left with? All the heroics, the political action, the grand stage of action, all of it disappears. And we are left with the characters who are, who are living through the events in the background, you know. And you were saying life has lived in the humdrum. It's also, this book is about those moments. It, it, it's about the hidden life of unrecorded acts. And I mm. think that's what the novelist's duty is, is to capture. It's not the, the, the grand stage. It's not the politics. It's not, this book is chasing something very different. It's going after, um, it, it, it wants to know uh, 
you know, it, it, it wants to know what is it like for people to live through these events. The events, the, the mechanisms that create these events are, are different and they have different shapes, but the outcomes are always the same. Mm. And, and for Elie Stack, you know, as she reaches towards the end of the novel and she's thinking about, you know, the meaning of the end of the world and she realizes the ending of the world is not this sudden event. It's not this biblical apocalypse. It's actually just, it, it's an event that, that knocks on your door. Mm. It comes to your city, it comes to your town and it gobbles up your family and, and, and it destroys your country. But it's, it's a news event to other people and over time it's a myth. It becomes it becomes a, a rumor, and so the book is really about exploring these this side of of, of 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 the events rather than the things that we already get from journalism, the things that that are that are obviously there um, uh, for the taking. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, and it's so true what you're saying because there's one very key example that was a reflection of reality for me because when I was reading it recently. It's the war on Gaza that's really coming home to me at the moment, especially with the airstrikes and people being forced to leave their homes. So when I um, read Molly saying, if you want to give war its proper name, call it entertainment. We are now TV for the rest of the world. And that actually gave me goosebumps because a very key moment from the war on Gaza for me, covering it from here in Doha, was watching a man in the Jabalia refugee camp who had just had his house and his neighbor's houses bombed and he's looking straight at the camera and he's screaming at them, are you watching World? Are you enjoying this movie? I wonder, do you also see these parallels now? Because as you say, it could have been set in Ireland, it could have been set in Syria. It could continue to be set in many places around the world. Yeah, and you know, when I set a novel like this in Ireland, it's really, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm holding up a magic mirror. It, it, it's, mm. it's, it's, it allows us to imagine it in a place where it would seem to be impossible. But by doing that, um, it makes it all the more real. It makes it more universal. Because if I had said a novel like this, and you know, let, let, let's say I had chosen to, to try and recreate Syria in a novel, well, then the book would be about Syria mm. specifically instead of the universal aspects that, that are unfolding in this book. And, you know, you, know, you mentioned Gaza and, I mean... This book contains, it, it, it has room within it for the Gaza narrative. It has room within it for the Ukraine. I've met, I met somebody from, from, from a Palestinian lady yesterday. I met a Ukrainian woman the day before, and both of them were saying that I've managed to tell their story. Mm. And that's, it seems extraordinary to me that my, in Dublin, here I am, an Irish writer, creating this, you know, a narrative that, that can somehow tap into these universal energies and there, 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 there was a there was an epigraph an epigraph that I really wanted to use for this book that I wanted to take from Cormac McCarthy's The Crossing and unfortunately uh, Cormac McCarthy was dying at the time and sadly passed away and we couldn't get the permission and 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 and, and the line was was really important towards the meaning of the book he said that the task of the narrator is not an easy one. He appears to, be, to, he appears to, to, to. It appears to be the case that he must choose his story from the many that are available. But of course, that's not the case. The 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 the, 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 the writer must choose. The writer must make many of the one. Mm. And when you make many of the one, you're getting closer to myth. You're getting to the point where a novel can can contain multitudes within it. And that was my goal. It was to sort of create this sort of a story that, that even though it's set in Dublin, 
that it actually contains within it the universal. Mm. And you know, it's 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 um, it's a it's a grand and lofty goal. And I don't know if I fully managed that, but that's that was my intention. Well, you certainly did for me, and I, I'm sure you've done it for many other people, because I think uh, one of the big themes in the book is the mundane amid the absolute chaos. And so for me, details such as when Eilish is in the car looking for her son, Mark, she's absolutely frantic. She's having this existential crisis, but she can't get the interval right on the windscreen wiper. It's so banal, but it's so relatable. And it's those details that continuously come up, I think, that make it relatable to so many different people. Yeah, and, and, and this was the point for me, that I wanted to sort of embed the, the reader of the novel completely in the humdrum, you know, because the fact of the matter is, is, is Eilish is, is, you know, she's a mother in her 40s. She's got, she's got a career. She's got three teenage kids. She's got an infant. She's got a mm. husband who has been disappeared and she's trying to hold her life together. She's trying to sort of manage all these competing energies as we all do in our lives. At the same time, her father is ailing. He's, you know, he's, he's got dementia. And she, like, she's so enmeshed that it's easier for her to be in denial about what's going on than address what's going on. Because mm. if she has to address it fully, then she may have to start letting go of the threads. And her sister, of course, is in Canada, her sister Anya, and her sister is saying, you know, history is a silent record of those who did not know when to leave. And Eilish is saying, you know, that's very well for you to say, but how am I supposed to leave? Larry is, you know, Larry's in prison somewhere. Um, you know, dad, dad is ailing. What, what if he falls and breaks a hip? What then? And so this idea that you can just leave your life, this idea that you can just, you know, pack up your bag and close the door and leave the country. It, you know, I wanted to understand this for myself to, 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 to leave your life. I think to leave your life and your home is possibly the most difficult thing mm. to do in the world. And, and you have to be forced to do it. You have to be shunted out of your life in the way that Eilish is. And this is what I learned by writing the book. And uh, that's a big question at the end. I think you give it to Mona, uh, a, a character who appears towards the end when she says, how much free will do any of us have to do anything? Uh, we're all so caught up in our lives, aren't we, in our responsibilities. And for Eilish, in the very beginning, it was hockey practice and it was Molly uh, competing in the junior league that was stopping her from leaving. I mean, it does, as you say, it shows us just how difficult it would be to leave when perhaps our first question might be, well, why didn't she just get out of there at the beginning? By the end, you're like, actually, yes, it would be very difficult to uproot ourselves. And again, this is what we see uh, in Gaza, in, in the Palestinians not wanting to leave the north of Gaza that is being bombed to go south because that's everything that they're leaving. You can, you can really sense that in the novel. It's devastating. Yeah, and, you know, at Free Will, the exploration of the question of free will is, is, is very central to, the, to this novel. And, you know, it's something I've always been interested in as a novelist, is this sort of sense that we're all living our lives, we are all searching for some sense of just, you know, authenticity of the self. We're looking for dignity. And, mm. and at the same time, you know, when my characters find themselves caught up in these enormous events, these, these things that are just, you know, throwing them around like dust, how are they to reconcile that? You know, these, 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 these forces are, are shaping their lives and yet there you are at the center of it, a human being with a beating heart and you're, you're, you're you know, you're trying to have some dignity. And um, 
I, I, there are no easy answers to this. I mean, there may n there not be an answer at all, but yet yeah, it, it's something that's central to all my novels. Um, mm. And Mona has that moment in the book where she, she speaks about it and she says, I, you know, I used to think that I had free will. I used to think I had agency. And now I realize that that was just a delusion, that, you know, that we are just caught up always in these enormous forces that are shaping our lives. And we really have very little say about any of it. Let's talk about Eilisha a bit. I mean, she's obviously your central character. I think she managed to keep the most remarkable dignity in an incredible situation. There were many times in the novel when I was like, I would not be that calm, polite, that collected to these officials, these faceless officials that represent the state and to the forces that were uh, bearing down on her. Even when the kids are fighting, you don't see her lose her cool. She's wonderful. She's complex. How did you create her? I think Elish just sort of came to me. I mean, it's not that I sort of created her. It's interesting that, you know, I wrote the first page of the book in this moment where I just sat down one day after writing the wrong novel for six months. This is kind of what happens. You're writing on something and you know it's wrong. But the energy behind the thing that you're looking for, it's, it's there, but you could just, if you can find the vessel, the, the right story. And I sat down and I just wrote that opening page mm. very, very close to how it sits now. And... Eilish is there in the, I think from the second sentence, she's, she's there in close third person and she's inhabiting that text. And I didn't go looking for her, there she was. And sometimes I think, you know, writing, it's like you're, 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 you're you know, it's sculpture, you find the shape in the stone, you know, you just have to move the words and there they are. And she seems to me to be this, she's an extraordinary person. She's so complex, she's so... You know, she's so in the world and in the moment, and yet she has these layers of complexity mm. within her. And we, we're sort of delving into her sort of memories, her life, her feelings. We're transported by her. And yet what she has to take on, what she has to deal with, what she has to confront, it's, 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 it's shocking. You know, and I had to go there with her. I had to follow the logic of events and truthfully meet those moments and not turn away and... And, and that was really important with this book, was to just be with her there as she is, as she is taken through this, this story. Uh, and the children, I've got to ask, because there's three main characters. There's the baby, of course, but uh, there's Mark, there's Molly and there's Bailey. Uh, they all cope with the situation in very different ways. Mark is all action and wants to go. Uh, Molly withdraws, Bailey hardens. Did you look at real-life situations as to the, the, the psychological impact of war on children to, to gauge these reactions in the children? Yeah, I mean, I did. I obviously would have done a reasonable amount of research for this book so I could understand the impact psychologically of these kind of things. But, you know, I, I just went with it. I just, you know, mm. I mean, it's my job as a novelist. This is kind of, this is what I do. And, you know, I, I, you know, we're sort of natural psychologists in a way. Mm. Um, and I, I, just, I just went with each character. And, I mean, you ask yourself questions like, well, you know, what does this character want now? Who are they and what do they want? And, you know, Bailey in particular, Eilish makes the mistake of lying to him, you mm. know, when, 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 when Larry is, is taken away and not returned. And there's no answer. There's just there's silence from the state. He's been disappeared. And... Eilish makes the mistake of, of not telling him because she thinks he's too young that he won't be able to handle it. And that's, that it, it, it proves a mistake because it changes Bailey in a way that he may not have changed. And because of that, they then have this, 
sort of there's then a narrative between them that 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 that, that goes to that goes that, that takes that takes off it that has its own energy through the book mm. and i mean i'm a dad I've, i i have two kids i have two younger kids so it was an opportunity for me to also let that side of my life into my writing perhaps for the first time and um you know like the, you know, they're fighting for the remote control mm. at the start of the book bailey's always they're always running out of milk you know he's mm. always saying why have we why have we got no milk and mm. Molly's complaining about this and that, and that—that's how life is. And mm. it seemed to me to be that it's essential to convey this aspect of life within this narrative. That you know, that 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 we—the humdrum. It's just again bringing it back to the banality because this is what life is like. Well, that milk—I mean—it proves to be a crucial point in the book, doesn't it? And just a warning to viewers: if you haven't read Prophet Song yet, this next couple of questions are spoiler alert. But I have to ask you, Paul. Why did Bailey have to die? It was devastating. That's a big spoiler. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, so I won't discuss how or what or what, but I will say that, that the book has, has a momentum of truth to it. And mm. the truth was the most important thing that shaped the book. So as I was writing, I would often have ideas. Maybe, I, you know, sort of romantic, novelistic ideas. Maybe Illish can do this, or maybe this could happen. And the book would just say... No. And what I realized was that there is a, there's a sort of, it's a, I see the book as a series of equations that leads to the last line. And that last line is, a, is, 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 is the QED. And I had to prove that last line true. And mm. so there's an implacable logic. And I could not flinch from that logic. I could not look away. And that, you know, there's a moment, that chapter, where the worst happens. I couldn't write that for a while. There was a number of months where I was, the energy of it was too great for me. I was, I was really blocked. I wasn't sure how to do it. And I also didn't want to confront it myself until, until I felt ready to do it. And when I wrote it, it just came out. It came out of me in a flood because, because I was ready for it. Uh, just moving on to your style, a lot of discussion about it. No paragraphs, no speech marks, very few full stops. It's an exhausting read, I think it's fair to say. And I also want to just bring in the fact there's almost no humour in it, except for one moment which actually made me laugh out loud. And it was when Jerry Brennan, Irish's neighbour, looks at the word traitor that's been graffitied on her car. And it's horrific. It's, it's a horrendous experience for the family. And he looks at it, he says, is it just me or is that not spelt right? It, <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant for me. But why did you not allow the, lead, the reader more levity, more moments like that? Again, the book has just had its own implacable logic, its own rules. Um, you know, I, I, maybe it's because, uh, you know, the book is just so much weight, in, in, mm. you know, in a certain direction that, that the weighting would be wrong if there was more levity. I, 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 I honestly don't know. Um, but I make decisions about, you know... For example, things like there not being paragraph breaks. These are decisions that are really important. And I think that when you're writing a book and you make, you make choices to play with the form and do things that are perhaps unconventional, though it's not unconventional to have no paragraph marks, it's not unconventional to have no quotation marks. There are many writers who have been doing this for mm. quite some time. But you must justify it in the meaning of the story. And th the justifications are, are there. You know, the reader will find themselves imprisoned in this text in the same way that Eilish is imprisoned within her reality. There's just nowhere to turn. There's no breathing space. Mm. And, and, and at the same time, you know, those long sentences 
are a way of, of inhabiting the moment, of, of getting down to the heartbeat of, of, of Elish's life, while at the same time they create the feeling of momentum, of just the pull of events that Elish is completely enmeshed in. Those sentences are pulling the reader along. They certainly do, and they don't let go. You've just won the Booker Prize. You've won uh, no shortage of prizes. You're a prolific receiver, it's fair to say. What's next for you? What should we be looking out for? Well, there won't be another novel for, for some time because um, I'm going to be busy doing Booker stuff, I think, for, for, for the next year, or so I'm told. But I do want to get back to work. I had started a new novel, and you know, I'm not even sure yet what it's fully about because it's, uh, you know, it's early stage. But I, I, and I never talk about what I'm writing, but you know, I, I, for the moment, it's just going to be Booker Prize. I think that's, that's my <laughs> life. That's my reality. Um, but I can't, I can't and, and shan't complain. As it should be. Paul Lynch, it's been an absolute pleasure and honour speaking to you. Thank you for talking to Al Jazeera. Okay, thank you so much.